Hey folks, it's John from AS for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Chade Turner. He's been a patron of ours on Patreon for quite some time. Jerry and I got to sit and talk with him for a little bit, and it was great to hear his story. He has a lot of calm. He has a lot of knowledge. He has a lot of wisdom that he was kind enough to share with us. One of my favorite things is that he opened my eyes to some of the blind spots that I have. And that's what I love about all these conversations is that there's a perspective out there that I'm not seeing. And so I'm always looking to try and figure out what is the blind spot? What am I missing? And in this conversation, there was definitely some revelations, epiphanies, and all in all, just eye-opening conversation. So without further ado, Here's our conversation with Jade Turner. What is your, like, what's your earliest memory of alcohol, either ingesting it or growing up with it? Um, Where did it start for you? Well, my dad was a recovered alcoholic too, and he got sober uh, mm-hmm. like a year, two years before I was born, probably. Okay. And, uh, you know, so so we didn't grow up with alcohol. I thought I thought anybody that drank drank beer or booze was a was a, was a dirty alcoholic. That you know, because <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a sober household, and, and I grew up going to uh, we went to a lot of conferences. My my mom ran an Al-Anon deal, and my dad was was really active in in the program and everything. So I grew up around around that scene, you know. And I remember I was probably eight or ten years old. And uh, my dad had like two cans of Milwaukee's Beast sitting on the kitchen counter, and I, I was like, what, what, what's that doing in the house? <laughs> you know, it, it freaked me out. And somebody had told him to uh, to pour beer on the tree to get rid of uh, some kind of worms that we had in the tree. You know, but that was my first, the first time that I'd ever seen. You know, my uncle was. Uh, drank a lot and stuff and he never he he died and he never got sober but uh but that was that was my first experience with it in the house you know and i i I, they drug me to to conferences and stuff and i was i was young young you know and i'd always end up trying to fall asleep under a table or something (laughs) and uh but i do remember thinking you know the people at those places everybody was walking around and smiling and and everybody laughed all the time and, and they gave each other hugs and said they loved one another and they were happy to see them. And I always thought, you know, damn, that's a, I want to be part of that when I grew up. That's a pretty cool thing. You know, all these, all these people getting together and I'll be damned if I didn't end up becoming part of it. Right. <laughs> I guess you know. it's just the, it's that part in the middle. That's always rough, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, as far as some of the, the isms, you know, I can look back at my life and, and see it my whole life. You know, I'm I'm another outsider that never fit in and, and all the jazz that everybody hears and says, you know, and, and yeah. that was definitely it. I I grew up, you know, working. My dad, he drug me to work at a at a really young age and, and I always thought now now I look back and I he was pretty wild as a kid and, and everything in his life and uh I thought he probably assumed that I might go that way too, so so he always kept a good eye on me and put me to work and and mm-hmm. i hated it my whole life you know it was it was slave labor in my opinion but uh 
but I'm, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for it now. You know, it taught me a lot about work and work ethic and, and stuff, but. So do you think like the work was kind of, that was his way of rather than trying to convince you not to drink, but rather just keep you busy so that you yeah, had. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you know, he was just trying to teach me responsibility and instead of running around and, and, and smoking weed and chasing girls, you know, I, I went to work after school and, and like I said, I hated it then, but, but I, I see now and it's a good thing for a kid to go to work and, and mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, I, I learned a lot, a lot of life skill and lessons from it, you know, and it did keep me out of trouble for the most part. I, through high school, I never partied or drank in high school. I was a church kid. Uh, I think I drank one beer in high school, a hot Budweiser, and it was <laughs> fucking horrible. <laughs> you know, yeah. I uh, I lied to my parents and, and told them that my friends' uh, parents asked if I could stay the night. Well, they were out of ha- out of town, so I went over and stayed the night with him, and, and we walked around town all night. And his brother had a, a six pack of Budweiser, and I drank that one, and not even drank the whole thing, I'm sure. And uh, and we walked over to to my girlfriend's house and hung out with her on the porch all night, she, who's now my wife. But uh, that was my first experience <clears throat> drinking. But it, it did, you know, sitting there with with my buddy's older brother drinking that hot ass Budweiser. I felt cool, man. You know, I, I, yeah. I was I was in the I was in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, I I went to church and stuff a lot after that. And like I said, I never drank in high school. I nothing until after I graduated, really. So when did when did you when did you um have your first that sort of alcoholic or did you have an alcoholic epiphany where you're like this is where I belong and this is what I need and this is the answer to all of my problems? Well, I I really didn't. Okay. Uh, I started drinking whenever I moved out and, and got on my own and drinking with friends and and stuff and it was all fun and games. We were just partying, young kids, you know, and. Uh, <clears throat> I remember telling my buddy, I, I'm a big old country music guy, Waylon Jennings and and all the the good stuff from the '60s and '70s, and uh, and we'd sit there and listen to to Waylon albums and, and stuff I had on vinyl, and we'd sit there and, and drink whiskey and chase it with Coke, and and we promised ourselves that we were going to shoot straight whiskey, no chaser. We we're just going to drink out of the bottle <laughs> by Christmas. This was toward the end of the summer, and by God, by 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 Christmas, man, we were drinking whiskey straight up no big mm-hmm. deal you know and uh just trying to i was trying to live the outlaw life i thought that shit was cool you know sure drinking and, yeah. drinking and yeah. dancing and and all that stuff but uh i was playing music at that point in time and it was actually a, a christian band you know so i drank and stuff on the weekends and whenever i was home off tour and, and just kind of did that at my house and it was still it was still just partying and having fun it wasn't an issue and stuff and mm-hmm. uh my wife and I, in 2007, we moved back to Perryton from Amarillo, Texas. My dad had a heart attack at that point in time and, and asked me to move back and help him, help him work and stuff. So we did. And uh, and it was still still just normal, normal drinking. You know, I don't think I had I uh, had a drinking <clears throat> problem at that point in time and uh, building choppers and, and going to motorcycle shows and uh, drinking and and riding choppers was my big deal then, you know, and uh, it all it all turned when my dad died is is whenever something happened and switched. And I was I was 25 at that point in time. But uh, <clears throat> he died and I inherited the, the business. 
I took it over and, and kept that going. And I did good, you know, but I started having the the weight of the world was on me after that. You know, I felt I felt so much responsibility that that I had to I had to I had to be my dad is, is what I thought. You know, I had to to work, keep the business going for myself and, and my employees and uh, take care of my mother and take care of my uncle and, and take care of, of my dad's other, my, my brothers and sisters. And I had to be the, I had to step up and be the new, the new uh, post, the new, yeah. the new patriarch of the family. You know? And, and I, I fucking failed big time. <laughs> Did you did you find it even when when you're drinking at this point and you're you're not you're not like you said it's still fun and there's not really any consequences did it ever did those thoughts of growing up in AA or in in recovery with your dad were they ever conflicting or thinking like oh well this is just fun there's no consequences mm-hmm. or I know how this uh, ends or at least through my dad was there yeah, any you know, conflict I didn't think I, I didn't think that I had a problem. I didn't think okay. that I, at that point in time, I didn't realize anything. And, you know, my dad, he knew I drank and he saw me drink and, and I went to work every day and, and I really didn't have a drinking problem at that time. Right. And, and he was, he was, uh, he was a pretty solid dude. Of, if he, he really wasn't going to say anything until, you know, he wasn't going to come beat on my door and tell me he, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't an evangel in that way. Mm-hmm. He was a let, let let you learn your lesson kind of guy. And, and yeah. Pretty, yeah. You know, but while he was alive, I never had an issue. You know, I smoked mm-hmm. a lot of pot. I was a big pothead. I, I smoked, you know, first thing whenever I got up and and all day and until I went to sleep. But I, I I worked. I went out. I never got in trouble. I wasn't wild, you know. And uh, and after he died, something happened. Whenever I started smoking, it it was different. I got super nervous whenever I smoked weed from then on and it made me super uncomfortable. I'd I'd smoke a bowl and, and I'd get paranoid. Somebody was going to call me. I was looking out the blinds like, Oh shit. Somebody's going to stop by. I don't want to see anybody. I got really paranoid for some reason after that. I started laying off weed and started drinking more at that point in time. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. That's exact. That that's just like very similar to what happened with me and weed. Because I smoked a, I smoked weed all the time and hardly drank. And then uh, there's some switch that flipped in me where every time yeah. I got stoned, I wasn't worried about people coming over as much as I was worried about like I was dying. I was one of those guys that would like have a panic attack and be like, "Fuck, my arms are too long," or some weird <laughs> shit, or like I can't fucking breathe. And so, yeah, I just started drinking instead of smoking weed. And that was kind of, that's, I can really relate to that though. It's like replacing yeah, like my, one thing with the other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My, it, it, uh, it made, weed made my mind race. Like all the problems started mm-hmm. running through my mind. You yeah. Know, and I just get a nervous wreck. And, and then, uh, yeah. So I, I, I quit smoking weed. I just stopped, you know, cause I, I hated the way it felt. And uh, started drinking a little bit more and more. And there wasn't a, I just went downhill steadily and, and not at a rapid pace at that point in time. And uh, just just more more of the, the world, the weight, the heavy ass weight that I felt, you know. And every day I, every day I tried to wake up and, and be him. You know, he mm-hmm. was my fucking hero, man. He was a yeah. good dude. He was a good man. He was he was the he was the definition of love and, and patience, you know. And uh, he was a good good man. 
and uh, now I know everything that that he was was through through getting sober and and mm-hmm. uh, and doing that that path, you know, through the program or or whatever. That's the way he chose to do it, and and uh, I see that now, and that's a big reason why I went went that direction, went that route. I fell back on on my past and experience in that whenever I I knew I needed help. So uh, when you're, you're you're beginning to drink heavily and you're feeling again you talk which I I relate to as well as that feeling of responsibility and the crushing it just comes down on you and you can't you can't be what you can't even be what you think you're supposed to be and yeah. and was there any I mean were you with your 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 wife at this point you guys were you yeah yeah we uh her and I've been together since we were thirteen. Oh wow! Okay. We in, in junior high, man, met at the skating rink and a couple skate Friday night. And all through high school, and uh, I graduated and moved to Oklahoma City and started working. And, and her and I got engaged. I graduated high school when I was seventeen, and she graduated when she was sixteen. Mm-hmm. So uh, we got married. I was eighteen when we got married, and she was seventeen. She was just a couple months shy of, of eighteen, even. Whenever we got married, and was she, uh, mm-hmm. was she a drinker as well? Or no, no, she never was. You know, whenever I got really bad, she'd drink with me. You know, and, mm. and she got pretty bad too at that time. And uh, but yeah, I was, let's see. My dad died. I was twenty-five. The the after that, everything kind of gets a little blurry. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> I guess it was two thousand fifteen. And I started drinking quite a bit, you know, I, I've gone on to beer, wasn't quite doing it. So I was going on to, to whiskey and, and that was, it was pretty heavy. And I, I eventually wound up with vodka as my, as my deal. Mm. You know, I could mix it, mix it half and half with Sprite and, and throw it down and, and get exactly to the point where I wanted to be pretty quick. That was, mm-hmm. that was my goal. I, I was, I was at point A and I want to be at point B right now. Mm-hmm. Um, was there, at what point do you, like, so this is 2015, was there, did you have a, did you have a moment? Did you have a rock bottom? Did you have a, like a turning point where you finally said where something had happened or was it just like, what was the, what was the moment of clarity or what was the, the rock bottom that you found yourself in? Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I struggled on through 2016, on through 2015 and 16 and, and during 2016, I basically didn't work. I quit working, you know, my, my phone quit ringing and, and, you know, we all think we're a pretty smooth operator, but, uh, apparently everybody knew but me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was a drunk man and, uh, I was sketchy and I was flaky and, and I wasn't getting much work and my wife, you know, tried her best to, to run the cruise and run the, run the company at that time. And, and she did her best, but she's not, that's not what she does. You know, that's mm-hmm. what I was supposed to do. And uh, our marriage, of course, was was all but over. You know, she was we basically ended up sleeping in the same house. And that was about it. You know, I'd call her. I remember one time I called her. I woke up. I drink on 24 hour cycles. I just drink till I passed out. Whenever I woke up, I start drinking again, whatever time it may be. And uh, I remember waking up and I called her and I, I saw the clock said eight. I called her, where the fuck are you at? You know, why aren't you home? She said, Shade, it's eight in the morning. I'm at work. 
and I was like, oh, shit, it's mm-hmm. April morning? Really? You know, and I had lost all concept of time, you know, and uh, I'd call her, and, and she'd, she'd go get me go get me a bottle of vodka just to shut me up, I think, Damn. you know, because mm-hmm. I would just called her and, and bitched and whined, and I was drunk all the time. I, I didn't draw a sober breath for about a year and a half, mm-hmm. you know, and I... So I didn't, I didn't really drive anywhere. I was just a hermit in the house, man, dying. And what uh, was the, yeah, what was the thing that brought you, that brought you out of that or what? Well, I I went to the hospital twice within that year. Okay. I almost died. And uh, one, I I don't even remember what happened. I remember the the last time I went, I ended up calling my mom and I thought I was dying. You know, I I couldn't breathe. I, I was just so drunk. And I called her, and then all I remember is an ambulance showing up and paramedics picking me up, you know, and they drug me out to the ambulance, and, and uh, they were asking me questions, you know, my name and if I knew where I was at, my birthday, and I answered them all. You know, yeah, I'm at my house. You put me in the ambulance. This is my birthday, and the guy just kind of looked at me like, the hell's wrong with you, dude? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because I, I was obviously highly intoxicated. But anyway, they, they take me to the hospital, and and pull my blood, and I had a, a 0.41. Wow. Damn. Alcohol level, Damn, <laughs> yeah. And they, they put an IV in me and, and let me go in an hour or two. And my mom my mom took me to another town, Pampa, to a bigger hospital and uh, talked about trying to get me on a medical detox because I was, I was so, you know, I was swollen. Mm-hmm. my eyeballs and face was yellow i mean like yellow yellow man and uh i was just it, it was it was crazy I, i've got a picture of it and i look at it sometimes and it's it's crazy the way i looked you know mm-hmm. i weigh 160 pounds i'm six foot tall and i weighed 190 pounds i think mm-hmm. at that time and i had never been over 165 in my life you know and it was all just swollen fluid and, and shit in me but uh they took me down there and they said, no, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with you. You've, you've got jaundice, you're yellow, and your liver's starting to shut down. You know, you need to quit drinking, basically, is all they said, and, and, yeah. and let me out. You know, they weren't going to help a, a drunk that was just going to go home and drink again. Yeah. Or where the medical right. community had gotten with me. So uh, she drives me home, my, my mom, and takes me to her house and, and feeds me Pedialyte and soup for a few days to try to to try to save my life you know and, and uh she asked me she's she'd come over and when i was drunk i remember one time coming over and i was sitting on my chair just plastered and she starts poking me in the chest you're fucking sick <laughs> you know you're fucking sick son you need help you know she's a, she's a good old alan on <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah she comes scoop me up man and kidnap me and and, and drive me out at her house, and I was shaking so bad. I had the shakes for about eight months after I after I stopped. Jesus. And, uh, she yeah. asked me if I would think about going to treatment, you know, and I never even thought about going to AA at this point. It was just, in my mind, all I could think of, what the fuck's wrong with me? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pussy. <clears throat> you know, what, what's wrong with me? All my buddies, they drink like I do. You know, I, I drink with them and then i come home and and i can't manage to get up to work the next day what the hell's wrong with me i'm you know it's what i thought well turns out i'd leave my buddy's house and they went to sleep 
I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's when the party begins when everybody yeah, else man. goes to bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. And I think but that I, I really. What I called my three o'clock moments. Mm-hmm. Nightly, and it was I'd wake up, and uh, it was about three o'clock in the morning, and I'd go in the kitchen, and I'd I'd my my drink was was vodka and Sprite, you know, maybe half and half, so that I wouldn't wouldn't turn my gut up too bad. But uh, I'd stand there at the fridge, just swaying back and forth at three o'clock in the morning, just thinking, what the fuck is wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Why, why can't I stop? You know, I'm I'm weak. There's something wrong with me. I, I'm not a man. You know, I can't control my drinking, you know, or I, I wish I was more of a man. I could quit, you know, and that was all that went through my mind at three o'clock in the morning. And I just downed booze to to try to get drunk enough to pass out, to get a a few moments of peace, basically, is all I wanted. I just wanted some peace, man. And I, I couldn't find that. It was it was always fleeting. It's such a. um like when you talk about it, when I listen to you say that and you're like, I'm, I'm weak and I, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. And it's, it's such, it says so much about the power of alcohol that you growing up in a, in a household where somebody, you know, of a recovering alcoholic, somebody who you have nothing but great things to talk about and say, you know, say, and not even seeing the first beer until eight and having like recoiling from it. Like, what is that doing in here? And for you to, have grown up with this and then to not be able to the alcohol like blind you to there being any other answer out there or any other option. Cause I know that when I try to remember back to those times and not exactly, but the, like, I love that three o'clock moments and I've had those and oftentimes like just laying in my bed drinking, yeah. I wouldn't even, I didn't even want to go out to the fridge and not even seeing that there was an option, even though even at the time after I knew people who had recovered from it, it did not seem like an option. So it's just it just says a lot about the power of alcohol that we uh, that we we can't see a way out. Um, you know, I, I remember uh, probably when I was 18 or 20, you know, growing up and thinking that anybody that drank was an alcoholic. You know, and, and that that was never told to me, you know, that my dad or, or parents never told me that and or anything. But that was just the kind of the concept that I had is that anybody that drank was an alcoholic. So whenever I was 18 or whatever and I started drinking, it wasn't no big deal. I was like, well, shit, I can drink and, and catch a buzz and go to sleep and, and go the next day. What's the big yeah. deal about drinking? You know, and I didn't understand that it's a whole different world whenever you cross that threshold. You know? mm-hmm. So I just, it, it creeped up on me and I never knew I could always handle my shit. And then all of a sudden realized one day I couldn't. And it never, alcoholism never crossed my mind. Yeah. It was just a, a weakness that, that I was a failure is, is what I thought, you know. Right. That it's a, that it's some sort of moral failing on our parts as yes, human beings, yeah. as men, right. that we, mm-hmm. we just can't, you can't handle your booze, Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, I mean, this, it's, and you know, one of the things that I, I've, I've come to realize is that I'm not, I'm not supposed to handle my booze. You know what I mean? It's nothing, it's nothing to be proud of that I can, I can imbibe 
quarts and quarts of liquor, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's... <laughs> it was a long, it took me a long time to figure that one out. But um, where do you go from like the three o'clock moments until like what happens between that and saying I have, I have had enough? You know, it was whenever, whenever my mom came and picked me up and took me to the hospital and all that and dragged me out at her house. Mm-hmm. There was, there was something, there was something, man. You know, I was, I was fixing to fucking die, literally yeah. at 32 years old. And I'm fixing to drink myself to death at 32. Yeah. And uh, I reluctantly went to, went to treatment. You know, it was kind of a cool deal. A, a guy that my dad uh, helped and sponsored years back, my mom had gotten a hold of him. And he's down in South Texas and he runs uh, Sober Living stuff and does a lot of work with with treatment centers down there and uh she asked me if if i can get you in a place are you willing to go would you go and i just said yeah you know i'll I'll try anything you know i was i was so fucking tired i was just so tired you know it's a lot of work to stay fucked up like that all the time yeah it is yeah jesus you know, nobody answered my phone calls. Nobody came to see me. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was all their fault, those assholes. <laughs> yeah, you <know>? basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my mom, I'd, I'd be mad at her, you know. She, my mom's a a, a, a a terrible person because she hadn't called me in, in six months. Yeah. Know? And, 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 and I, this, is, this is stuff that I didn't realize and see the truth until after after the fog lifted you know but i had a resentment against everybody everybody was an asshole and they just nobody liked me anymore and i didn't know why the hell yeah i'm the same guy (laughs) you know right (laughs) but uh she asked me if i would be willing to go and i I just said yeah yeah you know sure whatever i'll i just i don't want to feel like this no more i'm so fucking tired and yeah. uh, so she loaded me up and, and two days later took me down to south of Dallas to a to a place down there. And uh, I was scared to death. I thought I was going to I thought we were going to be in padded rooms wearing slippers and robes, you know, yeah. carrying around IV bags like like in the movies. I, I didn't know mm-hmm. what to expect. And uh, I went down there and, and they evaluated me and 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 let me in that place and. And that place saved my life, man. It really did. You know, it. I know treatment's not a necessity. I, I don't think either, either of you guys did went to treatment. No, no. But, I uh, could have used it. I fucking could have yeah, used it. Too. Yeah, <laughs> I just didn't know how to get it. I really didn't. Right, I didn't exactly. I was just like, I don't know, money. I mean, the shit's expensive. Yeah. yeah. You know, some centers are like 30, 40 grand for 30 days. That's you know, but this it, it was a, it was a real miracle. This guy that my dad helped was hooked up with these treatment centers, a few of them, and and he got me a scholarship. I didn't have any money, of course. Mm-hmm. My mom didn't have money to do that. I don't have insurance or anything like that then. Yeah. So so he got me a scholarship and got me in there just because I was I was uh, Fred Turner's son, and Fred Turner helped save his life. You yeah. Know, 15, 20 years earlier, and wow. that's uh, that's one of the more beautiful things about about my story, I think. Yeah, it, it all went full circle. Yeah. You know, but I, I got down there and, and I was I was 32 at the time and, and I was one of the oldest guys in there. I thought they were all going to be a bunch of 60 year old drunk. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. that their kids sent them in there to uh, to to get them sobered up for 
for the old folks home, you know, is what I thought. But I got in there and they were all like 17 to 25 year old kids, you know, and, and, uh, and they let, it, it was, a it's not AA affiliated, but it was a big book. The, the, the lessons that we did were straight out of the big book. They didn't mm-hmm. claim to be AA, but this was the, the curriculum or study or however you want to say it. That's what we did. We, we read the big book and had meetings and stuff every day, all day, you know, from we woke up at at uh, 530 in the morning, had time for a cigarette and a cup of coffee. And then we had a, a meditation, a group meditation in a dark room next to the cafeteria for mm-hmm. 30 or 45 minutes. And that was my first experience with meditation yeah. ever. And, How did you uh, take to it? Did you like it? Did you hate it? <laughs> I fell in love with it immediately. Wow. Awesome. You know, I've, I've always been a, I, I love the outdoors. I'm a big, I like fly fishing and stuff like that a lot. And so we go up to the mountains and, and I can, I can sit by the river and just watch the water all day with, with mm-hmm. not a thought in my mind. And I've been like that my whole life. So learning about meditate, you know, they kind of taught you a little bit, but not much. It was basically just sit there and be quiet and, <laughs> and they played meditation music. It was like uh, they had Pink Floyd meditation. <laughs> it, was a, it was a cover album of Pink Floyd. Like That's awesome. Style. Wow. It, it was awesome. It was cool. But uh, we did that and and learned learned the learned the stuff in the big book. Worked the steps. Mm-hmm. You know? And I did that for for thirty days. And they basically they had forgotten about me. I slipped through on the paperwork. Everybody kept asking me, you know, like like you're in jail, you know, when are you getting out, man? So I don't know. They haven't told me. Uh-huh. And wow. like 28 days in, they said, hey, shit, somehow you slipped through. You're getting out of here day after tomorrow. And then the stress and worry just flooded over me. You know, it was really easy to stay sober and be positive and, uh, and do everything in that little bubble. You know, yeah. it, it was a closed campus. We didn't leave or anything, you know, and, and we didn't have any visitors. I didn't have any phone calls. I didn't have a computer, no, nothing. I mean, <clears> you you didn't have anything. You, they, they go to the store once a week and they take a cigarette order and they buy you <laughs> smokes if, if you had money mm-hmm. on your on your account or whatever. Yeah. So I got smokes and that was it. There was no outside contact at all. But uh you know, in my experience, that was the best way it could have been. There was no outside distractions. There was there was nothing. I, I couldn't talk to my mom. I couldn't talk to my wife. I couldn't talk to anybody, you know. And, mm-hmm. uh, but that 28 days, they said, you're getting out and, and day after tomorrow. And, and that, that feeling hit me of, can I make it out in the world? You know, I, I've never... You know, I woke up in the morning and I took a drink before I took a piss. You know, that was the first thing I did was go in there and try to take some shots of vodka to steady my hand enough to be able to pour a full shot and not spill it. Yeah. You know, basically. So I didn't I couldn't comprehend what life was like before I had that problem like that. That was all I all I knew and all I remembered. You know, that that was life. You, you yeah. mm-hmm. shake yeah. and you drink to stop shaking. Mm-hmm. That's all I knew. What what a it's, it, I just had a revelation in talking to you because it's it's almost like you go through the process of of rehab, which is almost 
in a way, I wouldn't say easier, but like a smoother path. But then when you come out, you face so much more, you know, like my personal experience, I went into it all raw. Like I just was like, I got to get my shit together and just started going to random meetings. So I was like already out into the world. Um, it's, it's, I didn't even realize that coming out of rehab into society where it's all business as fucking usual. Do you know what I mean? Like, is that yeah, just, yeah. like, it like hit me right now. I was like, God damn. No yeah, shit. I, yeah. I felt like That's I was going to be thrown to the wolves, you know? Yeah. It must've been scary as hell. Honestly. I mean, I imagine it was frightening. Yeah. 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 I mean, I go from, I go from drinking a gallon of vodka every day. I, I drink two handles every day. <laughs> yeah. God damn. Know? Wow. And, uh, to, to nothing straight mm-hmm. up whenever i took that last drink february 13th 2017 man that's my day bro and uh, from then on I, I haven't had a drop mm-hmm. and but I, i'm in rehab dude and i had a, a spiritual experience a spiritual awakening whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. i didn't think about booze i didn't want booze i didn't mm-hmm. i was done you know i had such a i, I was so sick and i felt so terrible yeah it was like fuck yeah you tell me how to get sober i will do that tell me tell me now how right right it's where i was at yeah and uh something something i didn't i didn't realize anything happened in there you know but after i got out something had happened and uh i wasn't ready to go home yet i was terrified to come back home i didn't think i could just go to work next monday and Mm -hmm. start start from where i left off but my brother he lived out in lake havasu arizona and they were remodeling their kitchen. And he said, man, come out here for, for a little while if you want to. So I did. I came home and, and changed clothes. This was this was uh, in February, obviously, or, or February, March, whenever I got out. So it was, it was still chilly here in Texas. So I came home and, and packed shorts. And my mom drove me out to Lake Havasu. Yeah. And uh, my brother's a preacher. That's a that's a hell of a party town out there. But he's a pre he's a, he's a good dude. He's a he's a straight up guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I went out there and I was there about three weeks, out helping him remodel his kitchen and, and all that stuff. And uh, whenever I first got out, I I called my banker. He was a big part of of me getting sober. My banker. He was a an old old friend of my dad's that they grew up together. And my dad had helped his wife get sober in the years past, too. And uh, my banker, his name's Doug. He's not an alcoholic. He's not a drinker, really. So he didn't understand. And he called me one day when I was screwed up and and because I was behind on all my loans and and I wasn't making any money. And and he literally just did a welfare check. He said, hey, you know, this isn't about your loans or money. I'm doing I'm calling you to because I'm worried about you. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that was the first instance that somebody outside of my circle tried to get a hold of me and say, hey, we, we know you're in bad, bad shape, man. What are you doing? Yeah, and that, that was kind of I think maybe that was whenever I realized, OK, something might be up, you know, and, and after shortly after that, my mom, all that shit happened and I ended up going to treatment, you know, so I think maybe him calling me was was a little bit of a. A light turning on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that says something, too, to people about I if you're concerned about somebody or if you have a question about somebody, I think it's always best to kind of um, act on those concerns, you know, because it's easy for us to say, you know, I should really call so and so. And then we don't, you know, I mean, I and I think I think more so in 
in the program, I've been uh, I've learned that you know, okay, you jump on that. If you feel like you need to talk to somebody, go talk to them right now. Something might be up. Whatever that is, you can call it a god shot. You can call it coincidence. You can call it whatever you want. Um, but it always ends up being the right thing to do. You know. Yeah. So I, that's one thing that I've really loved is that sort of um, when whenever I have an I uh, a feeling of spontaneous generosity, even in the smallest way, even it's just like you know what I mean, like yeah, on yeah. rather than yeah. go oh you know what would be really cool if I did this this and this and then you don't do it. It's yeah. I've just found it's always best to to uh, to reach out to people. But yeah, those, those coincidences usually don't. They're, they end up not being coincidences. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty strange. So so I'm out in Arizona hanging out, and uh, I called my banker. As soon as I got out, as soon as I got to Arizona, I told him what the deal was. I said, man, look, I'm, I feel great. I'm in Arizona. I'm going to stay out here for, for a month maybe and, and try to settle my nerves a little bit, and I'll be back home, and I'm going to try to get to work as soon as that. I'll get you paid up. I'll get my stuff caught up. And, and he said, hey, Chad, don't worry about anything. He said, don't worry about money. He said, you don't have to pay me a dime right now. He said, take care of your stuff and get to feeling better. Call me as soon as you get back into town and start working as soon as you can. And whenever you make a little bit of money, call me. And we'll pick up where we left off. You know, and I was like, wow. And and that was that was whenever I realized that there's people are on my team. Mm-hmm. You know, people want yeah. to see me. They they want to see me get better. Yeah. yeah, that was the first time I realized everybody wasn't an asshole anymore. I was the <laughs> asshole. Yeah, <laughs> they, were just, they were just pissed off at me, man. Yeah. But, uh, <clears throat> out there, I, I the the first epiphany I had about about the miracle they speak of that possibly could have happened to me is you know they they serve they sell liquor in uh, the grocery stores in Arizona. They don't do that in Texas. And uh, I'd go into this grocery store every day and get a pack of smokes and a Red Bull and a water. Well, the cigarettes were straight down the liquor aisle mm-hmm. in the back of the uh, grocery store. Mm-hmm. So I'm going in there for three weeks, man, and I'm buying a pack of smokes and a Red Bull and a water every day for three weeks, walking down the liquor aisle in this grocery store. And it had never dawned on me that I was walking down the liquor aisle. I never wow. even noticed the stuff. Mm-hmm. And one day I stopped and I saw a bottle of fucking vodka sitting right there at eye level. And I was like, holy shit, it happened, man. It yeah. really, really happened. Wow. You know? Yeah. And I, I left that day. And, and from there on, I was like, all right, I'm ready to go home, mom. You know, take me back to Texas. I want to see Callie. And uh, I want to get my shit together, you know. And, and I had talked to my wife whenever I came home out of treatment. That night, I stayed for, what, two days, I think, and uh, I told her, you know, we were ba- we were all but divorced, you know, we didn't talk to each other, we, you know, bunch of, a bunch of really unhealthy shit in the marriage, of course, you know, and uh, I said, we sat down, and, and I told her, I said, hey, look, I've got to go, I've got to go this direction, you know, I can't do that shit anymore, I can't go party, I can't drink, I can't. I can't smoke weed. I, I can't do that stuff anymore. I said, if you want to, that's fine. You know, but I, I got to know right now if, if, if you can't do this with me, then I've got to do something else, you know, cause I will die if I keep doing that shit. And she said, Hey, I, let's do it. You know, she mm-hmm. said, I want to, I want to go with you. I said, okay, well, let's start over again. You know, and we were married 13 years at that point in time. Wow. 
and uh yeah she said let's let's do it you know so we we did it you know we've been married 16 years now wow uh, the the last three years my sober three years you know have, have really honestly been the best years of my life they really really have you know, I, and I've had a good life. I'm a, I'm an upper middle class white kid from the Texas Panhandle. Mm-hmm. I've had a pretty damn good life, you know. Yeah. But uh, the last three years have really, really topped the, topped the notch, man. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm ready to come home from Arizona. I'm, I'm feeling good. I, I realized that something changed. You know, I don't want to drink. I've seen booze. I've been around people drinking, and. Uh, and it, it dawned on me, you know, like, I can't drink ever again in my life. I remember my mom asking me how, how I was feeling, and I told her, and I said, you know, it really hit me that I can never fucking drink again. I was like, that is a long time, forever, <laughs> I can't mm-hmm. drink. Yeah. And, and I was a little nervous, but it, I realized, you know, it, I don't need it. You know, I really don't need it now. And I couldn't. It, it blew my mind. I, I can't tell you how jumbled up my brain was because how I felt did not fucking make sense. <laughs> it just didn't make sense. I, I couldn't believe how I didn't want to drink anymore. You know, but I, I came home and and went to work. You know, my dad, right before he died, a few months before he died, we were working in a house and 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 we were doing a, a certain thing and I'd asked him, I talked about this the other night on, on Instagram with an interview with a guy. And uh, it was the summer before he died. And I asked, I said, dad, what am I ever going to do if I lose you, man? Me and him got really, really close working together every day. We were, we were best friends. I said, you know, you're my boss, you're my landlord, you're my best friend. What the hell am I going to do if you ever die? And he said, just go back to work, son. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that, that was, that yeah. was as simple as it was to him. You know, and uh, I came back to Perryton and I would pray, you know, uh, what's my path? What 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 am I supposed to do? You know, whatever that is, I want to do that, but I don't know what that is. You know, please tell me what 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 you want me to do. And I just hear this little voice in my head saying, go back to work, son. You know, so I did. I, I called some clients and and uh, laid it all out on the table. You know, I went around and started talking to people and uh, friends and told them, you know, this is this is the shit I've been doing. You know, I was really screwed up and I, I went and got some help and I'm sober now and I feel really good. You know, and I told her, I said, I'm not doing this to try to get work. I'm just letting you know that I'm fucking sorry for flaking out on you. You know, and, and every single person said, well, I'm glad you're back, man. We need some help. Come, come over and, and do this and. And we'll get to going again, you know, every single mm-hmm. day said that. Yeah. So, so I got my, my business back up and running and, and a little bit at a time, three years later, I'm doing the, the business is doing better than it ever has. I'm doing better than I ever have. Uh, you know, gratitude runs my life. I'm so fucking grateful to, uh, to be able to keep my life, to keep my, my business keep everything you know i didn't lose anything i didn't lose a single thing i almost lost everything Mm -hmm. right in the nick of time something happened and somebody stepped in my life and and offered to help me and 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 i was ready at that point in time you know i I don't think if you're not ready i don't think you're it's not gonna work you know i i could have gone to treatment and all that shit but i was ready 
If I wasn't ready, I would have came back home and started drinking again. You know? Yeah. Everybody has to reach that point. And it's different for everybody. You know, what, what <clears throat> and some people never get to that point. You know, that's the sad, the sad truth of it all. Yeah. Most yeah. people never get to that point. Absolutely. Yeah. It continues to be a manageable predicament for for people. And I, I I know I was the same way with that you say I didn't lose anything and I I mean I was very close. I was very close to losing a lot of things and I had you know, I had destroyed one relationship. Um, but I it could have been a lot worse. And something I don't know what it was, something came in and said, Hey, look at all the stuff that you have. Look at you know, you're gonna lose this all. You need to figure something out. And um and then little by little people were put in front of me that were like, Hey, this is how we did it. This is this is here for you if you want it. And then I was like, Yes, I want it because I was just that that you I think you said it something about just being tired, just being, you know, tired yeah. every yeah. single fucking day. Mm-hmm. And just finally, you know, we all have that breaking point, I think as alcoholics where you wake up and you go, I don't have the energy to be an alcoholic today. I don't have the energy to drink today. And that's, yeah. that's, that's that weird sort of a, that first little epiphany of like, what do you mean? This is the only thing that I live for. And I don't even have the energy to do this. Yeah. So, um, but I, and I look at, you know, we, we met, you know, obviously online and um, I follow you on Instagram and I absolutely love the videos that you put out now with uh, you've been doing it for a little while now, but um, all the painting and the sanding and like putting the old country music to it. And it's super cool stuff, man. I just love being able to see like because I I can't do what you do. Right. So I don't have the the craftsmanship tools that you have, you know, like I don't I say tools, I mean, abilities, you know, like to do that stuff. So I always love being able to see things actually built. You know, my girlfriend's place, there was this empty lot. It was nothing. It was dirt. And then I watched every week, like, this whole building is brand new, you know, and stuff like that. And so see things created. And, you know, you could probably throw whatever metaphor you want in there about alcoholism and recovery and stuff like that. (laughs) But it's really beautiful to watch. So, I mean, um, and when... In your program, what is it like? What does your program look like on a daily basis that keeps you sober? It, you know, it's like I said, gratitude runs my life. Mm-hmm. It really, really, really does. And whenever I, whenever I got out, got home, and and I went to, uh, I went to a meeting every day, basically. You know, it was that was. You know, I hear people talking about just trading one addiction for another and this, and, but fuck it. I never came on. Like, like you guys said, I, I never, I never ate a, a gallon of ice cream and yelled at my wife. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I never True. went to a meeting and came home and slammed the fucking door and screamed. Yeah. So yeah. It was a, it was a very, very positive thing. And, and, you know, they talk about deflation at depth that, that one has to have to, mm-hmm. to grasp to grasp changing, you know, just speaking of the ego, mm-hmm. you know, and I had, I definitely had deflation at depth and, and I came into the program and, and I didn't know anything and I didn't care. You tell me what to do and I'll do it, you know? And, uh, and that's what I did. 
you know, I went to work every day and I'd, I'd wake up in the morning and I meditated. I, I got into meditation a lot and that really slowed my, slowed my mind down. It, it gave me a, it gave me a pause button before reaction is what meditation's really done for me, you know, and it's, it brought me back to earth and, and realizing that I'm just, I'm just one dude in the Texas panhandle of what, 7 billion plus people in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And, and my my hero of my entire life, my dad, he died, you know, but the world kept spinning. You know, if, if he dies and the world keeps going, then nobody's going to fucking blink for me, you know. And 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 I know people love me. I'm not saying that, that I don't matter at all. You know, that's of course, that's ridiculous. But but in the in the grand scheme of things, you know, you don't matter. Mm hmm. You know, everything keeps going. I quit working and other painters came in and painted people's houses. Nobody yeah. just said, well, shit, we got to wait for Chade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I realized that. And it really brought me down to earth. Yeah. And uh, it was just it was just literally one day at a time, sometimes, you know, an hour at a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. my wife was a, my wife was a really big part of it, too. She's she's cool. She's a, she's a cool, cool chick, and she was 100% supportive. You know, she's she's not an alcoholic, but whenever I whenever we talked, whenever I first got back, she said, I, I, I'll quit too, you know. And mm-hmm. she hasn't drank a drop since I quit, you know. We we come home, and, and we laugh together. We make fun of each other, you know. She does a bunch of dumb shit, and so do I, and we both yeah. laugh at each other, you know. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. You know, I, I grew up in a really, really loving household. I can, I can honestly tell you that I've never one time seen my parents fight. Mm-hmm. I've never seen them argue. I've never seen them raise their voice at one another. And not one single time has that ever happened to me and in, in front of me. You know, and I right. told them that one time and, and they just laughed. They said, well, hell, <laughs> they said we, we, they promised themselves not to fight in front of the kids. And whenever they, something went down at the house, they would both shut up. And after we'd go to bed, they'd go to the room and they would discuss their own business. Mm. You know, it was never in front of the children. And I, I remember that, man. And, and that has been a huge, a huge influence on me and, and, and mine and my wife's relationship to, you know, to be able to get over shit and, and all the stuff that we've been through. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for that woman. You know, I, I realized in treatment. That I have to change. I cannot fucking drink anymore. I'm going to mm-hmm. die. What, what if I come home and, and all of her stuff's gone and, and she's moved out, you know? And that was like, shit. And it was like, well, if that's what has to happen, then so be it, you know? I've got to quit drinking. And and I was able, I had gotten to that point <clears> in my mind. <throat> and, and I think that really, that really, really helped me that, that I had to get sober, period, you know? If my wife was gone or whatever it was, if my business never came back, I'd figure something else out, you know. And uh, but yeah, her and I just just trugged on along, man. And uh, yeah. it's 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 a it's a hell of a thing to look back on. Yeah. Is there um <clears throat> is there anything that you still struggle with today as far as anything with your sobriety, recovery, or any any anything at all? But man, I don't. I have zero desire to drink, you mm-hmm. know, and, and smoking weed and, and and whatever other illicit substances I may have taken part of. You know, I really don't have any desire whatsoever. 
you know, mm-hmm. a, a couple times, you know, booze is fucking gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if I'm going to sit down and, and eat a steak, I, I don't want a beer, man. I want some iced tea or, uh, or something. I'm, I'm a big true. fan of, I got some, some liquid death. What is uh, that? It's it's like, it's just carbonated water. That's okay. It. Supposed to murder your thirst. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, we drink a lot of Topo Chico, man. That, that's uh-huh. yeah. You know, we, but... Uh, yeah, booze is gross, man. And and the only the only drink that I thoroughly my mouth has watered for was a Michelada. Yeah, mm. wow. You know, That's so I love Clamato yes. and, mm-hmm. and a Dos Equis and, and all the, yeah. the Tabasco and you know, I'd I'd down those suckers. They tasted good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then instantly my mind went to dude, you don't sit on the porch and drink Micheladas. No. You fucking drink a gallon of vodka and, and almost die. Yeah. You know? and, and that's mm-hmm. where that's where I I've got to be real realistic, you know. Yeah. You, you can't you can't romanticize this shit, you know. Mm-hmm. Those, those girls aren't sitting at the bar drinking a drinking a fruity drink and, and giggling, man. You know that's that's a that's a commercial. That's a TV. Yeah. TV yeah. 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 You know the reality <laughs> is they're fucking puking in the bathroom in the bar trying to do lines off the back of the toilet. That's exactly. Reality, yeah. You know? I've. I know. I've been there. I've seen them. <laughs> yes, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I, I do want to say um, before we before we wrap up here, um, uh, for anybody listening, is there is what would you suggest to somebody who's thinking about quitting or thinking that they might have a problem? You know, just really evaluate your life. Mm-hmm. You know, that I've I've really, especially since this this uh, COVID stuff's been going on, you know, I've used it as a chance to really reevaluate my priorities. You know, and if 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 some real stuff goes down, and an emergency happens, what's the first thing I think of? It's not work, man. It's not yeah. the office. It's not it's not that house I'm painting. It's my wife. Like, yeah. oh shit, I got to get home to Cali. You know, mm-hmm. I, I got to make sure she's okay or what. You know, those are. Those are where my priorities are today, and, and they haven't always been that way. You know, it used to literally my priority was if, if I had enough vodka to get through the night and OK, I'm good for the night. Well, what about tomorrow? You know, and those were the first thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. and even even the the ball, you know, if if you got things planned and, and booze gets in the way, you know, that might be and, and you may not be an alcoholic. You know, nobody can judge that shit. but you. But you've got to be real about it, man. You've got to you got to think about it from a different perspective. You know, it's mm-hmm. all perspective. That's the only thing in my life changes <clears throat> my perspective on things. You know, I, I still I still paint houses. I used to hate it. You know, I used to hate it, but I love it now. It's just a perspective change. I'm grateful mm-hmm. to have the to have a skill that I can go anywhere in the world and, and have a job. Yeah. I get to work for myself and stuff, but but yeah, man, if, if, if you have a problem, then, then sit down and think about it. And if you think you do, then go with that. You know, you will talk yourself out of it. You know? <laughs> yes, you I've done it. I have a problem. No, I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. You know? and, and if you think you might, then just, you know, call somebody. If they don't answer, call somebody else. You know, hit a meeting. Hit a hit a forum, an online, an online deal, you know. Yeah. Do 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 something, right? You know? And and then hell, 
Mm-hmm. There's some literature that says try to try to stop drinking for a year. See if you can do it. Go to a bar and have a couple drinks and, and go home and see what happens. See how right. your mind treats it. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you can yeah. do that, then then maybe you're okay. But if you can't, then yeah, it's I. I think I think ego. I, I learned through all this deal. The ego is is a lot more than that that uh, than that beefed up dude at the gym that, that looks at himself in the mirror all the time. You know that that's not that's what I thought ego was. You know, but ego is it it uh, it trickles down every crevice of our soul forever. Ego runs so deep. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it lies to us. Yeah. You know. And it's it's something that that I I realized and and once I realized that that you know I'm 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 lying to myself straight up you know I, I finally realized that and everything changed. You know? It's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to escape, man. Like I think about that too. I know you've read a lot of um, uh, Marcus Aurelius and. Um, who else talks about the ego? I don't know if you've ever. I've read a little bit of Carl Jung. Um, it's a little. It's a little bit above my my thought process, but that's that's why I like it too. Is you know because it challenges me a little bit. But um, I see myself all the time, and I'm getting better at like catching my ego and going, oh no, that's not that's not serving you. You're just you're just you know you're just fulfilling whatever little desire you think you want like you don't need that you don't want that you're not really and so i think that's for me that's part of like getting better at like checking myself because yeah, it does yeah. run deep yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, was, I was always pretty judgmental about people I, I was really critical you know and that was always a big deal too was was you, you you're just not doing it right let me show you Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know the, the the stove burnt your hand. You know, well, you just didn't pull away fast enough. Here, watch this. I'll, I'll show you. Yeah. You know? and, and I, I burned the shit out of myself too. Well, damn it! Hold on, I wasn't ready. Let let me try it again. And that was a big, big thing always, but uh, but realizing that I'm just I'm just as slow as everybody else. Don't touch the fucking stove. <laughs> you know <laughs> absolutely just don't yeah. touch the fucking stove what um book that i did read when yeah. i first got out was uh, mark manson the the subtle art of not giving a fuck yeah it's the a great book. Of the book i mm-hmm. love I that book it. Man. yeah it's a great book mm-hmm. the, the first chapter is called don't try yeah <laughs> Yeah, I have a tattooed on my hand. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, dude. But, yeah. but one of the things that really stuck out in that book was uh, he says to the effect of you, you only have so many fucks to give, so choose your fucks wisely. And, mm-hmm. and I know that's pretty crude language or whatever, you know, but it, it caught mm-hmm. my attention. Mm-hmm. And, and straight, you know, you only have so many to give, so choose them wisely. Yeah. You know, today I choose to give a fuck about my family. I choose I choose my 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 work, you know. I choose to help people, and and I used to only choose booze, you know. That that's where it ended up, anyways. Yeah. But, but, but choose them wisely. You've only got so many. It's true. It's true, man. Um, well, thank you, Chade. Man, yeah, that's, that's, thank you. That was awesome. I really yeah. appreciate you sharing, and uh, it's always great to hear somebody else's perspective because I think even in even in sobriety and in my own recovery, it's easy for me to get caught up in thinking in my own way of thinking. And, um, it's easy for me to go, well, you know what? I've got it figured out for now. 
And it's always great to hear what somebody else has done and how somebody else has seen the exact same thing that I've gone through and go, oh, wow, that's right. That's what I need to work on. That's what I need to change. That's what I'm missing. So mm-hmm. I think that that's also that's an important thing about talking to other alcoholics is I'm looking for my blind spots. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so I appreciate you uh, uh, showing me some of my <laughs> blind spots today. For sure. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I, want, I want to say to both of you guys, I think I found this when I was around six months or so. And actually, we were heading to a funeral of one of my wife's relatives. And I found y'all the night before, I think through Instagram. And mm-hmm. I, I got on uh, the iTunes podcast or whatever. And I listened to every episode up to date on that drive to the funeral. And I've I listened to every, <laughs> every week since. Wow. You know, you guys, are, you guys are doing an awesome thing. And it's, uh, it's a different perspective. You know, you're you're not you're not preaching the book. You're not evangels. You're just two fucking drunks that sit here and talk to each other about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whether it's jogging and eating or (laughs) or whatever, you know, but I I thoroughly enjoy enjoy this podcast. And I really, really thank you guys for putting it out. It's been a it's been a big help for me. It really, really has. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you, Chade. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>